everyone. Welcome to the weekly podcast with Ginny and Barry. I'm Ginny Graham, the editorials editor of the Opinion Pages at Social World. And I'm Barry Friedman, a writer, author, comedian in town. I've been working on that introduction ever since we started. I'm going to get it right one of these days. He writes about rocks. That's what I remember. Actual rocks. That's that's where he got to start. So, but we have, we have guests today. It's Labor Day weekend. How about and that? We, we invited Organized Labor to join us. We have Shauna Mott Wright, who is the president of the Tulsa Classroom Teachers Association, and the vice president, Leanne Jimenez. So we invited you because of all the labor unions out there right now, state officials have sort of picked on the teachers unions. So at, for the readers or the listeners, for background, the governor did issued an executive order wanting to remind teachers or somehow ensure that they know they have a right not to join a union, even though it's opt-in. And this was backed up by his education secretary, Ryan Walters. So I just wanted to start out. Um, Shauna, can you and, and Leanne tell us how long you've been involved with the teachers associations and what are the biggest myths that you hear about what teachers unions do or don't that just make you want to pull your hair out? Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'll start I think you're cutting out a little bit. Leanne, maybe you want to start? Um, is that better? That's yeah. better. Maybe. Obviously, we're doing this via Zoom on Labor Day, and she's in Brampton. So, um, but, but but why don't Leanne? Why don't you? Why don't you start off on that one? Well, thank you first of all for having us, and uh, to all of the listeners out there, you're welcome for the three day weekend brought to you by unions um, and organized labor. I am starting my 26th year in education in Oklahoma. Um, I had taught in Tulsa Public Schools my entire career. After 18 years in the classroom, I left the classroom to be the science coordinator for the district. I did that for five years and then I was elected to um, represent teachers as the vice president of the um, Tulsa Teachers, Tulsa Classroom Teachers Association. So I've been at this for a while. I joined the union day one when I started back in 1997 and have been involved in some way, shape or form ever since. I took a few years off when my husband was ill and then after he passed away, I came back in. I was still always a member. I just was not as involved actively as I have been recently. So um, I've been at it for quite a while um, and in various, been on the board, been a building delegate. I have been uh, the second vice president. Now I'm the first vice president and, you know, one of the myths for me is that the unions are not teachers. What, that's, we are elected by our peers to help them in negotiations and in um, issues that they're having in their building. We are, we are one of them. I, I'm a certified teacher. I'm actually substituting in classrooms right now as vice president for TCTM full-time release. My salary is paid by members, not by the organization. I'm paid by members and I'm out of the classroom to do this job. 
having said that, I know how short we are with teachers right now. And so I've been teaching second grade since the first day of school to help until we can get someone in that classroom. So I'm a teacher. I'm not from out of state. I'm not, you know, a big national person. I'm from right here in Tulsa and I am a teacher in a classroom. And so everyone who says, you know, the big, the big union bosses, well, you know, I'm one of the teachers. Can I ask you uh, about that? In 2012, Chris Christie, governor of New Jersey at the time, at the Republican National Convention made a big deal about saying that Democrats believe in teacher unions and Republicans believe in teachers. What I'm curious about is when did the left lose the narrative? When did the Democrats I wouldn't say accede that, but when did when did when did we stop being the driving force in playing offense with teachers rather than defense? Rather than saying what you just said that we are teachers, we we are in the classroom. It seems like Republicans with unions and with teachers have the story right now, certainly in Oklahoma. Was there a time we lost that? Was an incident that we lost it over? I think for us in Oklahoma, there's a couple. First of all, our organization is made up of teachers across the district who happen to be, by the way, almost 50% Republican, almost 50% Democrat with some independents sprinkled in. So the union is not made up of left wing people. We're made up of your neighbors who are right next door to you. And there's no... There's no, we are a democratic, we are a democratic organization, organization, but not the Democrats. We are not the Republicans. We are all of the above. Um, so a couple of things. One of them is Citizens United. Uh, when that happened, that kind of skewed narrative a little bit. And then the uh, right to work, when that became official in Oklahoma, um, First, and, and let me go back, OEA has never been, you have to join to, um, OEA has never been, you have to join, it's always been opt-in, even before right to work. And so when right to work came along, everybody, everybody in the Republican arena said, yay, we've defeated the unions, now you don't have to join. You never had to join in Oklahoma for the OEA, for TCTA. Neither one of those was a, if you become employed as a teacher, you're automatically a union member. That's not true in other um, industry, but at least for Oklahoma and for TCTA and OEA, that's been the truth. It's always been opt-in. It's always been, you can leave when you want to. We try to keep people for the whole year because we do the work for the whole year, regardless of whether you're a member or not. But I think those two things put together, the Republicans thought, ooh, we've defeated unions. Well, here we are still with about 75% of the members of, uh, of the district are members of TCTA. I, I know that, I mean, you're obviously representing the Tulsa teachers, but I was wondering if you had any sort of insight into the statewide look because, um, because the state officials and the governor and this education secretary are targeting the state on this is there a sense of how strong 
membership is in some of the rural areas? Um, you know, is there, I mean, it seems like in Tulsa, because you guys have, you know, the messaging in the city, but how hard is it to, to get maybe some of the, that messaging out to areas that are sort of far flung in the state? Well, I happen to also represent Tulsa on the state board for the Oklahoma Education Association. We have two state boards, state board members from TCTA. Um, and so I, I meet with my counterparts who represent rural Oklahoma. Almost monthly, we have meetings. And in, it depends on the town. It depends on the district, on whether they are solid for OEA. If they're not members of anything, there are two other associations in the state, the Professional Oklahoma Educators and the American Federation of Teachers. So between the three of us, we have quite a bit of the state. Then again, you don't have to be a member to enjoy the benefits. And so there are a lot of teachers across the state who not a lot. There's there are teachers across the state who still enjoy the benefits of what the union negotiates without belonging. What do you think the uh, well? First, let me let me back up here. During the in the last the Republican primary, Ryan Walters apparently did better in the rural areas than Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Any explanation for that? His numbers. And, and I guess in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, am I wrong to think that the unions are at, at their strongest in, the, in those two cities? Um, and somehow he did better in those two counties than the rest of the state. Why, why would that have happened? And I believe Shauna has joined yeah. us again. Yeah. yeah. Hey, thank you. You're still, you're still being, it still sounds robotic. Yeah. Sorry getting out. Branson's hard to get a con connection okay. from. Try your phone, Shauna, instead yeah. of your computer. Awesome. I don't data. I think we're going to have to have Leanne answer the question again because we can't understand. I'm sorry. Um, so, so the question is, you know, why would Ryan Walters, uh, you know, do better in, say, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, if we're assuming this is where the unions are strongest, than he did in, in the rural areas? I mean, what's your thought on that? I have several. One of them is that uh, this is one of the lowest turnouts in um, several years. So less than a quarter of the people who were eligible to vote voted. Um, and in the metropolitan areas, like I said, we are half um, Republican, half Democrat. So in, I know that it was a Republican primary. Some people um, would let's just say we have loud opposition in both metro areas across the state. And I think they did a better job of getting people to the polls than we did. I mean, we're consumed with starting school and doing the work of, you know, like I said, I've been teaching in the classroom since August 18th. So 
there's been less of an effort. Um, and again, we don't tell our members how to vote. That's one of the other myths is that we're out there saying you have to vote this way or you can't be a member. No, you, everyone is an adult. We try to give facts and we try to give um, data that people can follow. At the end of the day, we're not in the voting booth with them and we're not the ones trying to tell them to uh, vote one way or another. We do have recommended candidates. Um, we have a political action committee and we do have recommended candidates and none of that is dues dollars. That is all voluntary money that uh, members have spent in addition to their dues dollars. And once you have donated to the political action fund, then you also have a voice in that endorsement or recommendation. We don't endorse, we recommend. Um, so you have a voice in that. If you give $10 to the political action or $1, then you can be on a committee to determine, to interview candidates and then to determine whether or not we recommend them. So it's very much a, um, organization where the voice of the people are involved in it. I think for that uh, primary that they, the opposition did a better job, um, or let me, let me just not say opposition. The uh, Walters campaign did a better job of getting people to the polls than the um, Grace campaign. And Secretary of Ed Walters has been in Tulsa a couple of times. There are a couple of locals who have invited him in. I'm not sure that Dr. has been in Tulsa yet to actually meet with people. So, you know, I think there were a couple of things that happened there. Uh, now we're just very nervous. If if he wins, I don't know what the, what the face of public education will look like in Oklahoma. I wanted to talk a minute about um, organized labor in general. In in the United States, organized labor membership has gone down since 83, which was the first time they'd really measured it from about 20% to 10%. But recent um, information about the NEA and the American Federation of Teachers shows that one in four teachers nationwide are a member. So, you know, that that's higher than the national average. How strong would you say, and, and that's nationally, but how would you strong? How would you describe the strength of union membership in Oklahoma being a red state? Because I, I, I know a lot of people coming in from California and the coast. They think you know the teachers union is going to be the strongest union in our state. I'm not sure I can say that when I'm thinking of the Farm Bureau the oil and energy lobbyists, you know, there are other interests that I, I think you've seen. So how would you describe the strength of, or the power that, that the union has in state politics? Well, again, none of our dues dollars go towards any of those efforts. So it's, it's additional money that teachers who are one of the lowest paid, um, industries in the state having to have the certifications that we have and the degrees that we have to have. We're one of the lower paid industries. And so for a teacher to give 10, 15, 20 more dollars a month or individually towards political activity above and beyond what they do for their classrooms, et cetera, 
that's really making a statement. And there's not as many of us who can do that as there are in other industries. Um, you know, when starting salary is 40,000 for teachers, and right now, at least in the Tulsa area, a majority of our teachers have been here less than five years. So their salary is not much higher than 40,000. So um, for them to be able to give and have that political power or strength, it's a Herculean effort. And so you're right, we don't have as much. We, we work more with relationships than we do with our pocketbook. So we don't have Farm Bureau money. We don't have oil and gas money to be, you know, funding all of these candidates for whatever, and then whatever favors they get back for them. We build relationships and we have uh, our members communicating on an individual basis with their um, elected officials. What do you think the, the end game is? You talked about, you talked earlier about what you feared, what would happen under Walters if he wins what will happen to public education. What do you think the end game is? A equal footing with public education and private, or is it something even more nefarious, which is just doing away with public education? What, what do you think the point of this is? That's part one. Part two is, uh, why do you think that's the goal? What, do they, they don't really believe there's porn being peddled in public schools, right? I mean, they don't really believe that. Or if they do really believe that, I suppose they can say anything they want. They don't have to prove it. But but what what is the end game? Why why are they picking on teachers other than this notion that teachers have it easy and and you have summers off? That is still a a thing people pull out of the air and go. Well, yeah, they work nine to three and they have summers off. But what else is going on? Do you think? And why is it? striking a nerve wherever it's striking a nerve is it just because it's too easy to knock teachers and you didn't get a real job and this is easy and you didn't go into the workforce and you don't deal with adults what is this all about and where did it come from i think a lot of the answers that you gave already are part of it if you look at the republican party platform for education it's pretty clear in there what their end game is. And I'm a registered Republican, have been my entire life. Um, and that's the one thing, or that's one of the things that I struggle with constantly is the education platform does not favor public education. And that's what I have dedicated my life to being is a public educator, public school educator. Um, I do think there's some... I mean, Secretary of Ed Walters has said that he doesn't want to take any federal money, at least not, no federal money with strings attached. Every federal dollar we get has strings attached. Mm -hmm. If you don't take federal money, then you're going to lose 10 to 12% in the um, metropolitan areas, up to 30% in the rural areas of your funding. This year, we were funded on a flat budget in a year of 7% inflation. So we were not funded at an equivalent level as we were last year. How do we pay the bills if we're not taking federal money, if we're um, funding on a flat budget 
And if we are um, attacking teachers with rhetoric such as they're just trying to, their woke agenda, they're trying to um, bring porn in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think that end game is? It points to a very dire end game in my mind and one that I'm willing to stand up and fight against to say the entire reason to have public education is to create more, more and better citizens who can then become leaders in society, to be good citizens in society. So if you're trying to dismantle that, what are, do you not want people to become leaders? Do you not want, you know, so there's a whole bunch of what you said that is, has some point of truth to it, but I'm not in their heads other than I've seen the Republican platform, the party platform for public education. And it's, I mean, they want us to teach reading, write, read and write and, and arithmetic. So, I mean, I'm a second grade teacher. That's what I'm teaching is reading, writing and arithmetic. The, the notion that- um, I'm going to ask a real question, real quick question on the, you, you're talking about being a Republican and it not matching up mm -hmm. and looking at the, I was trying to find polling on how people viewed organized labor. And it was interesting that both the Gallup poll and Pew Research Center showed that Americans overall think the decline in union membership is a bad thing for the country. And the mm -hmm. Pew Center uh, broke it out by uh, Democrat, Republican, and age. And what was interesting about it was, not surprisingly, more the Democrats and Democrat-leaning independents think it's uh, a bad thing, and you know, by about 60%, whereas that drops among Republican or Republican-leaning um, independents to 40. But looking at that, younger Republicans, it shifts to something like 60% of those of Republican, of young Republicans under 40 think it's a bad thing. So are you sensing a shift that maybe organized labor, people are now seeing organized labor differently now than they did in, you know, 30 years ago? I mean, are you getting a sense from young Republicans that view it different, say, from older Republicans at this point? I just want to clarify because I think what I heard you say is not what you meant to say. Okay. Did you say okay. that it shifts with young Republicans that 60% say that yeah, the 60 organized labor the is younger bad Republicans is think Yeah, they think the younger Republicans think that union membership is a good thing. Right. That's, Sorry, that's, that's not what I, I heard you I say, so I wanted to make I, sure I that's what we were talking about. Right. Right. Um, I think younger people in general think that union or organized labor is a good thing. If you are watching the across the country in the Starbucks and in the other industries, Amazon. I think it's the younger generation who is reinvigorating the movement and reinstituting, you know, we need to come together collectively to ask for better things for our industries. And so I think the same thing is happening in education. Um, a lot of the newer members in Tulsa Public and across, well, let me just speak for what I know, Tulsa Public, a lot of our um, newest employees are under the age of 40. They've come here for various reasons or they're 
fewer and fewer of them graduating college with an education degree, but they're coming out of college and joining us and they're of the younger generation. So they are joining, you know, we, we met with several new teachers over the last, the first two weeks that teachers were back in August and uh, we signed up 200 new members. So, and most of them have come to us. It's not been a, I've not had to go out and ask anyone to join. I have sent a couple of emails because that's one of the things we do. But uh, so I've gotten a couple of new members that way, but most of them stop by our table. We sit in the hallway, they stop by our table and they're like, I need to join. Tell me about your organization. And a majority of those are of the younger generation. Well, uh, Shauna sent me a text message saying she wanted to emphasize uh, that it has always been an opt-in and that, and I'm reading this from her, that uh, Secretary Walters and Governor Stitt should have known that. And uh, she just wanted to emphasize that. So so anyway, I, I throw that in there. I think they did. I, I did I, say that at the beginning. You did, but I just, I, I'm trying to, uh, to to let Shauna know I, 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 I repeated that, so. Here's my question to you. Most bad union stories uh, are personal, right? You have a business and the union requires you to hire four or five people you don't think you need or movers don't do the job because they have to hire too many people. Or What do you think the bad story is, the bad personal event was for people who were against unions, teacher unions? Is there something that happened, do you think, or is it just this overall sense that my kid was not educated properly and I'm going to blame unions for that? Where do you think the emotional connection is between the anti-teacher union movement and politicians? Well, if you've read the recent data that was published in the Oklahoman, um, most people love their schools, love their teachers. It's when you get farther and further away from what I know that the stories become more, I don't know, um, they become bigger and bigger. Yes. And so everyone has heard of that one teacher who did X, Y, Z. And they don't know someone in their school that's done that, but somewhere out there, teach, one teacher has done X, Y, Z, and the union has protected them or supported them. Our job as union members is to protect and support the processes that we have put in place, the processes, processes that we have negotiated. So there may be te bad teachers out there. I'm not here to save bad teachers. I'm here to make sure that the students in Tulsa Public Schools are supported and educated by having um, good teachers in the classrooms. So whenever someone says that, you know, we're protecting the bad teachers, we're protecting the process and the district also knows the process. And so it's, it's upon them to follow the process correctly to get the bad teacher out. So, I mean, again, the stories become sensationalized if it's not someone you know. So, you know, there's a big thing that, you know, one of the reasons that Dr. Grace didn't win was because she's been protecting this teacher in her district for a long time. 
she wasn't, the school board did not do their job, you know, so, and she's not part of the union. I'm just saying, so we all know the story of this teacher that has been around students who shouldn't have been in a city miles away. And they have that in their mind of, well, there are bad teachers out there. Every time one of our elected officials talks about the woke teachers or the CRT or all of these buzzwords that they're throwing out, no one in Tulsa, well, one person apparently in Tulsa can look to their school and say, this is happening in our schools, but they're still afraid that it's happening. And the storyline is that the unions are protecting it. The unions are the ones putting it forth. I didn't even know what CRT was until it became a national thing a, a year and a half ago. So it's not been my job to make sure that we have CRT in the school, but that's the narrative and the storyline that's out there. So now we have to battle against that. When, you know, we have state standards, we're teaching our state standards. There are some sensitive subjects in our state standards. The way to change that is to change the state standards, not to attack the unions. Another couple of criticisms that, that I hear in that, and also, by, by the way, it's not just CRT. If you could define woke, I know a lot of uh, my mom's generation would love to have that definition, if you can come up with that one. But but the other couple of criticisms that come out a lot of times, and this is happens in other unions as well, which is there's this idea that there's this insatiable appetite for public funds. Like you never have enough public money. It's just you're constantly coming to the trough, so to speak. And the other one is that the unions are resistant to what would be considered uh, reforms. But those reforms are usually private school vouchers or merit pay. So when those two things come up, I mean, what's your response representing teachers to those, to those couple of things? We do um, want to be fully funded. The reason we say there's not enough money is because mandates keep being placed on us that are not funded. We only get, and I may be wrong on the numbers here, but of all of the IDEA individuals with disability educational act, um, we're only funded at about 60% for that. But yet we still have to do all of the things that are mandated for us to do. So when I say we don't have enough money, when I'm talking for teachers and saying we don't have enough money, it's because we want to do all the things that we're told to do for our students, but we don't have the money to do it. And every time a voucher or scholarship or whatever the name of the month is for those that would take public money and put it into private entities, um, those private entities are also getting money from their uh from the students, from the families of the students that are in that building as well. So they have additional money and they wanna take the money that is for public education. So we do often say we don't have enough money, but it's because we're trying to do the things that we've been told we have to do, take care, feed the children, take care of the um, individuals who have disabilities, uh, 90 minutes of reading, 60 minutes of math, it's really 120 minutes of reading or English language. Uh, 
60 minutes of math, recess time, all of the things that we're being told we have to do are not being funded at a level that we can do them. So you put really? that out there upon us and then you want to take some of our money and give it over here to entities that have funding from other sources. Can I just ask you about the, the vouchers and about the private schools? I think Holland Hall is 20,000 a year now, maybe more, but it's it's in that ballpark. When you say voucher, not you, but when they when they offer vouchers for parents to have choice, and here's a $4,000 voucher, do what you want. You can go to Holland Hall for about eight weeks if you can get, if your kid can get into Holland Hall. It pays for a quarter of it, whatever voucher it would be. The selling point is uh, it's bait and switch. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with $4,000 for a private school here in Oklahoma? Nothing. Other thing about money is what you talked a about. A private school that doesn't provide transportation either. And I think in Holland Hall, they have to bring their own lunches. So there's not food there either. So right. not only is it not paying the tuition, it's not paying for all of the other things to get someone there either. And the non-unfunded mandate. Hall, though. I think it's the, the schools that want to exist, but can't. So, you know, when I think about rural areas, I can see churches popping up and saying, I've always wanted to have a school, but I can't afford it. So if I can get all these vouchers, which brings up all these questions about, okay, if you have a school where every kid's on a voucher, isn't that a public school? So I'm just interjecting that because I don't think it has to do with the Holland Halls and the Bishop Kelly's and these established ones. I think it's for others that are barely existing and or one existing can. So anyway, continue. And I have no Sorry, beef with Holland Hall. I, I no, have I, lots I, of friends with Holland Hall. Hall. <laughs> I don't either. The point is, you know, if, if, if Jenny, you're right, and, and a church wants to open up a school, go, we'll take the four grand. That'll cover it. Uh, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe they think that'll cover it. You can bring your own, you know, juicy juice. We'll cover the education. The other point about the not being funded enough is that's also part of the plan. Let me just say that cynically is that if you can starve the beast, then you can blame the beast for being lethargic. And that's mm -hmm. also part of the plan. If they give you 60% of the money they should give you, then they can come back in a year and say, look at, look at your scores. You're failing these students. You're not providing the education. It's better if we take that money and give it to somebody else. And what you're saying is, and I agree with you, is you purposefully take away the money we need to do the job you tell us we have to do, and then say, see, you didn't do the job. Yep. That's that's the that's the whole program in a nutshell. And even if let's say let's say 25% of Tulsa Public Schools decides that they want to go somewhere else with a voucher, that still leaves 75% of our students. We still have to pay the electricity for all the buildings, the custodians for all the buildings, the plumbing for all the buildings, the you know, all of the things. So taking a few out to give them money where they may or may not be able to go somewhere else does not negate the needs of the district. Well, the, but the money follows the student. Yes, it does. But that's one student. You still need the building. You still need the air conditioning. You still need the heat in the winter. You still need to cook, you know, all of those things. So the, and you still need teachers. If you take two kids, right now I have a class of 20 second graders. If two of them take a voucher and go somewhere else, I they still need me to teach 18 second graders. So 
it's, it's say you can't do it, but you know, fully fund me for 10 years and then see if we can do it or not until you fully fund us. You can't hold us responsible for what we can or cannot do. But of course they can and they are. And they do. Yes. And, and, do. and some of them are getting louder and louder and louder about it. So one of the interesting things I have, I mean, I, I remember I covered schools, Tulsa public schools like 20 mm-hmm. something years ago. And at the time, I remember the TCTA and the administration really at loggerheads. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. an impasse every year. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, uh, uh, and this was, you know, John Thompson days, you know, Superintendent Thompson way back. Now it seems like, and maybe it, it's me, but it doesn't seem like that the animosity is there. That I think the TCTA and the administration probably have disagreements on some things, but overall, it doesn't seem like it's the dysfunction it used to be. I mean, how would you describe your relationship with the administration, which is who you're negotiating with on behalf of these teachers? I mean, how would you describe what that is right now? Because I, I get the sense that this targeting of public ed has sort of brought you guys together a little bit. If they have a com- common enemy now. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> well, we got a bigger fight. I don't have any enemies. Um <laughs> We you have done. Do. School teacher. Yes. Think you do. I have people who think I'm their enemy. Let's put it that way. But I'm just trying to teach second graders. So come at me. Um, we do have major disagreements with the district. We have done a better job recently of identifying the person or entity within the district that we have a beef with. Beef with and bringing it to the table and having conversations. It's not about, um, and, and our common goal is to do what's best for students. And in our world, that means if we're doing what's best for teachers, then teachers are going to do what's best for students. So there are some things still with the district that we're like, mm, no, we don't agree with that at all. But we can do it in a civil way and have a conversation about it. Sometimes they win, sometimes we win. Um, But yes, we do have different groups right now that we, we, the district and the organization have bonded over. That's not the truth. And we both need to fight it because, you know, woke liberals, CRT, all of that, and again, you know, tell your grandma, I need to know what woke means too. Because when I, when I get up out of my bed and my eyes are open, I think I'm woke. So I don't know. Um, but so there are some untruths, a lot of untruths out there that we are both fighting. But in the meantime, we still have our own disagreements. Again, you know, we're trying to do what's best for kids. And I think for me, my unique perspective is I came from that part I was the science coordinator for the district before I came over. So I have some insight into all of the red tape and all of the things that have to go on before something can happen. So I'm able to bring that knowledge to the, uh, to the union to say, but wait, I know that they have to do this, this, and this first. So let's give them some breathing room to do that. And then if they still haven't done it, let's, let's have a longer conversation. So some of it is that, some of it is we have a common um, group of 
lies and things out there that we need to discover. Some of it is we've both realized that for the most part, we're on, we're trying to do what's best for students and teachers. The ambiguity of CRT and woke is pretty much the game plan. If you can't define it, you can call it whatever it wants. And you say you're going to deal with facts. What facts? What? Where are the facts? But I did see something the other day, and I was going to ask you specifically. Part of the part of the the the, the venom against CRT, whatever it is, is inclusion, which is insane. But that is part of it. And so, if a teacher puts up a rainbow flag on the wall, is that indoctrination? Or is that humanity? And what do you do if that's considered a violation of the law? I mean, if you're a teacher, do you then go, then this is not my profession. This is not for me. This is not what I signed up for. I will leave, which is exactly what the Ryan Walters of the world want you to do. Or do you mm -hmm. say, all right, I, I can still do my job. I'll take down the rainbow flag. And I won't talk about bad Germans and Nazis, and I won't quite talk about slavery, and I won't quite talk about redlining, and I won't quite talk about uh, the Trail of Tears. At some point, they want the good teachers gone, and at some point, the good teachers have to go, because how do you say, how do you literally face yourself in the morning if you have to take down the rainbow flag from your classroom? If all you want to do is say to students, there's a world out there and we have to treat each other with a certain amount of love and kindness. And you have a state saying, no, you do not. Diversity is not a strength. Inclusion is not a strength. Now, what do you do if you're a teacher? Well, our district, Tulsa Public Schools, has come out and said everyone belongs and we will teach the history as um, we know it and as the standards require. So as long as the district is on board with all of that, we've got teachers who have rainbow flags, we have teachers who have crosses. I'm good with either one. I'm good with both. I can have both in my classroom. Um, I think at an appropriate, developmentally appropriate level, you know, some things aren't meant for an elementary classroom, some things aren't meant for a middle school classroom, so put them where they belong. Um, when my second graders show up every morning, and Shauna gets nervous when I call them mine because I'm only there until someone else comes in, but she's like, you're not going to go back to that. So, uh, but when my second graders show up every morning, I'm giving them a high five and a handshake because everyone is welcome in my classroom. Um, and, and therein lies the other part of my job as the vice president for the Tulsa Classroom Teachers Association. When someone is told to take down their rainbow flag, I'm there to, to help them navigate that. When someone is told to take down their cross, I'm there to help them navigate that because we do have policies and procedures in place and we're going to follow them. We may follow them, we may disagree with them, follow them and then work to change them. However, at this point in time, it's beneficial to be a member of a union or an association in Oklahoma. It's beneficial to be a member so that you have that support. I was going to ask because I've uh, a lot of the teachers I know that are members, they do it because they want to have representation in that scenario. But mm -hmm. I'm wondering how many are, are 
joining for other reasons, you know, this 200 new teachers that you mentioned, do you have a sense of, of, of what is the selling point for joining the union? I mean, why, what, what are bringing people into it? I'm going to read you some quotes recently that we asked people that question, what's the benefit of joining a union? So let me pull up the quotes that I have on that. Um, it does seem like with House Bill 1775, that would be an even bigger pull. I, I mean, looking at some people join because they're afraid. Some people, we did give them $50 back. So there's that too. Well, I need $50 because I don't get paid for six, week, um, six weeks. I'm trying to pull this up on my phone and it's a different, um, there we go, groups. And, you know, in TCTA specifically, we have, at the beginning of the year, we have uh, what we call the give and grab. It's basically a, a free garage sale for teachers where teachers who've retired or otherwise left the district have donated things and we've collected brand new things too. And then if you're new to teaching, you can come and shop at the give and grab for free. So they see that as something that they can do to, um, that by being a member, they get that benefit. Um, trying to find my, do it this way. There it is. Okay, I'm just going to read some of the quotes. TCTA helps protect me as a teacher and is there if I have a concern or question about something. The best benefit, having someone to vent to who understands. TCTA is my backup net, there to give understanding, clarification, and support. We are blessed. Not all unions are as effective as TCTA. Um, TCTA gives me the peace of mind that if I need an answer or support, they are there. If you have a problem and it don't look good, who are you going to call? TCTA. Um, and these are just members who have put TCTA provides services for their members as well as protection and also stands up for members in the collective bargaining process. TCTA makes sure that our school district doesn't take advantage of us by using collective bargaining to get us a fair contract. Um, TCTA provides new teachers with opportunities to get supplies for the start of the year. They also offer Mama J's pa food pantry year round for anyone who might need it. So just different reasons. One person said because um, through our or through our association with Oklahoma Education Association and the National Education Association, there are travel benefits and discounts. There are um, one person said I'm securing the future for my family by putting together a will and you know other legal services that you get for free or at a discount. So there's multiple reasons. Most of it is they, they want the peace of, peace of mind that we'll be there to help represent them in the case of a dispute with the district, a dispute with a parent, or a dispute with a law. Are you involved in the lawsuit? A, a, I was gonna say, I think it's sad that there's a food pantry and you have to have a garage <laughs> sale to for, yep. for teachers just to do their jobs and to eat. I mean, can I just we're not fully funded. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I just think that that's horrifying. So go ahead, Barry. <laughs> do you are you part of a lawsuit? Is there a lawsuit against the state and and these bills? Um, TCTA is not. I don't believe OEA is yet. 
Um, that's not to say either one of us might not be, but right now um, the ACLU has a lawsuit, but we have not joined into it yet. Is there a reason for that? I mean, TCTA hasn't been asked. I think um, at the state level, there may be reasons. I'm not sure if um, the person who originally, you know, there's like only one or two people who have been um, taken to task over their teaching. And I don't know if they were union members or not. They're not from Tulsa. So I don't know if they're union members or not. How much of your collective bargaining each year has to do with pay versus work environment? Because I, I don't think people realize that you're also negotiating things like administrators can't require teachers to attend so many things outside the workout. You know, like, you know, right. some administrators I know would be like, you have to attend all the football games and you work at night. And, yeah. and so you limit these things. So how much of what you do has to do with money versus non-monetary things? It's probably a 25-75 split. 25% is money. Um, it's not guaranteed that we get a step increase every year. TPS pays above the state minimum, so they don't have to increase every year. Um, so we negotiate that. We negotiate for extra duties. Uh, so the um, bus duty, cafeteria duty, teacher in charge, those different things. Uh, the sports stipends also are part of the negotiation process, but you know that's a little bit of it because the district only has so much money. The the flat budget this year, seven percent inflation rate, they're not going to be able to give us a whole lot, and we know and understand that. Um, there is some ESSER money that might come into play, but uh, the rest of it is about you know guaranteeing that we get plan time because we are told we have to do certain things by, you know, there's school board, there's district school board, state legislature and federal leg legislation are all mandate things that we have to do in the classroom. And if we don't get additional time or time to do that, then uh, we are, then we struggle. Uh, so we, we negotiate plan time. We negotiate um, work environment. We negotiate, uh, like you said, the there are so, only so many events after hours that they can ask teachers to to attend to. Um, we've had to sub for ourselves the last several years. Um, so that means taking that plan time and our lunch time away from us so that we can be in classrooms where a teacher was not able to show up for the day. So we negotiate all of that with the district. Anything that has to do with our working environment and or our pay, we negotiate. And it's generally about a 25 to 75% um, ratio. Uh, I will say that uh, last year, there were so many obstacles in the way that really had nothing to do with the relationship or the bargaining process, but school closures, COVID, you know, all those things. It took us a long time to get through negotiations. This year, we hope to be finished in the next week or two, um, certainly before October. So, you know, there's just different things that we have to, and, and our negotiations is member-driven. And it's, it's actually 
bargaining unit driven. So there's two different entities there. We have our members who pay dues to belong. And then everybody who doesn't pay dues, but is also in the classroom is part of the bargaining unit. So we bargain for the entire bargaining unit, not just our members. And so if someone has an issue, a concern, a thought, an idea, they will send that to us. We send a survey out um, and ask, here's the contract, what do we need to add or subtract from it? And then we also have, every building has a representative within it who comes to a meeting every month. We call them our delegates. Every month they come to a meeting and they give us feedback from their members. And then we also have them at the end of the year or sometime close in the spring semester have conversations about our contract and what are some things that need to be changed in it. So it's not, you know, Shauna and Leanne make up all these things that we want to make the district do. It's really member driven and um, bargaining unit member driven. Anytime something comes up and someone is, is adamant about it, then they come tell us about it. We take notes and then that's what comes on our um, bargaining docket for the next year. Well, we're coming up on an hour, which is a little, little longer than our normal. I mean, we could go on. I mean, there's so many things. So I'm going to let Barry have the last word, last last question. And uh, uh, it's it's an open-ended question. Take another hour, but I'll ask, <laughs> I'll ask it anyway. Uh, I know you're going to have to say you're optimistic, but are you? I mean, are you really optimistic this is going to get better? That's such a big question. Um, I always have optimism. I know. Um, there's, there are some things that, you know, I just, I can't imagine a world where certain things are no longer guaranteed rights or privileges for people. And so I, if I go down that road, I would not get out of bed for a week because I would just be so sad about the prospect. So I have to have optimism. Um, you know, we've reached out to all of the candidates. We being the state organization has reached out to all of the candidates to um, ask for interviews and to start, start or continue building relationships. And there's some places where there's no optimism because they haven't even responded to our phone calls, right. um, which which makes me very concerned about what could be, but I've got to have some optimism there. Okay. I think that's the 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 teacher in you. Probably. <laughs> the, uh, elementary teachers tend to be at the, These maybe mad can. at the moment, but at the end of the day, they're putting the happy faces on the wall. And hugs still work. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, I think that for, for so many uh, teachers unions or unions in general are sometimes a mystery that there is assumptions made. And we just wanted to have you on here to just kind of talk about some of the things. And I really appreciate it, especially on this Labor Day weekend where we're not supposed to be working and enjoying <laughs> our time. So um, thank you. Thank we you appreciate so you having us. And if, you know, just for the general public, it, our office is open. Welcome to come by and chat with us if you if some of your questions didn't get answered or if you have other questions. Um, I may not be there because I'm still teaching in a second grade classroom for a while, but uh, most of our members have our direct phone numbers as well. So anytime anybody wants to know anything, just reach out to us. 
that's a good that's a good that you knew probably are easily found on on websites and other other places and i wish more people would do that reach out to get actual answers rather than listening to national talking points so that's a very good good thing so any, um, yeah. any other last I can't words hide. <laughs> any other last words you want to give us before we um, don't for, don't forget to vote in november <laughs> yes we need to repeat that often thank you very much and thank until you. next week, I thank everybody for listening. Have a good one. Bye-bye.